Welcome to More Than Movies. I'm Ivana. And I'm Jay. Today we'll explore the letter J and chat about an upcoming movie. And we talk about Spielberg's take on Netflix and watch Mother! Exclamation! It's time for Categorized. All right, it is the season two first installment of Categorized. We left off at I, so we're moving on to the letter J. J, like you. Like me. I know, yeah. it's like me. <laughs> so the way this works is we both give our five top favorite movies that start with the letter J, and then we got to pick one at the end, which is always the hardest part for Ivana. Uh, I think this is going to be pretty breezy for me this time around. Yeah, I already know what your like favorite is. Why don't you kick us off? Uh, all right. On my list is, in no particular order, might I add, uh, Jerry Maguire. Hi, Jerry Maguire is on my list as well. So uh, tell me about it. I don't know. I, I just think it's a really good movie. Like, it's fun. It's interesting. It's more than just a typical rom-com. It is life-affirming. Changes who you are inside. You walk out of the theater and go, oh, I am a deeper person <laughs> why don't you tell everyone your story about <laughs> jerry Maguire? <laughs> well i'm sure i've told it on this podcast before but when i walked out of jerry Maguire, i think i was like 15 or 16 years old and i said huh so this movie thing isn't gonna go away anytime soon i am hooked uh it was the first time that i watched the oscars that year it was just like a life-changing moment for me so of course i had to put jerry Maguire on this list i like it all right, let's talk about Jurassic Park. Did that make yours? It's on my list. See, look at this. This is going to be real quick. <laughs> Why is it on your list? You know, I rewatched it maybe like a couple years ago or last year. I don't remember. The freaking effects hold up. They hold up better than like some Harry Potter movies. Yeah, like, and this movie was made in... 1993. I mean, like, it is so old. I know. It's amazing. You know, the one thing that I will say is that if you have it on Blu-ray, like, some of the dinosaurs on Blu-ray aren't as impressive. But on DVD, they are outstanding. Well, okay, yeah. At that time, people were not watching things in 4K picture, obviously. Uh, no, no, no. But the story holds up as well. Like, you like the characters. You got Jeff Goldblum for you. Oh, he's so good. He takes off his shirt. Yeah, I mean, that's not the thing about Jeff Goldblum that is exciting. It's it's his attitude. It's his personality. And that is definitely something to love about the film. Like, you love the characters. Newman from Seinfeld at his Newman-iest, even though Newman-iest. he's a different character. Like, he's a different character, but he's the same character. Like, you just hate him. You hate him right off the top. You got Samuel Jackson doing a little cameo. Hold on yes. to your butts. I and honestly... When did you see the movie? Uh, in high school, maybe. Okay, so I saw this movie in grade six. In theaters. And my mom was like, ooh, should I have brought him to see that because of the the lawyer scene and like in a very gratuitous Spielberg kind of way where like, yeah, you need to die in like the most insane way possible. I'm just going to do that. My parents never really shielded me from anything. Um, 
<laughs> not in movies. That's well, right. Well, actually, they didn't let me finish Pet Cemetery. Hilariously enough. Now, is that because of the content in Pet Cemetery, or were you like just really scared? No, I've never been really scared. They were worried that I would get scared, so like they let me watch up until the climax, which is okay. really funny. And then they were like, "It's probably gonna get scary," and I was really upset because I was like really young. Um, that movie doesn't really get much scarier at that point. No, I don't think they knew that though. We were all watching <laughs> it for the first time. So, all right. So we've got two movies on our list that are on both of our lists. Um, why don't you throw out a movie you don't think I'll have on on my list? Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown is not on my list. Why is it on yours? I love that movie. Like, don't get me wrong. Uh, it may be top three Tarantino for me. Yeah, that's what. Like, it is for sure in my top three of Tarantino. I mean, I think that like like Tarantino when he first got started and first started to become a bigger name, really he had to think about script and he had to think about story because he couldn't rely on money and it made him really resourceful and his movies are freaking amazing. And you know what else? Tarantino, when he was reviving the careers of people that hadn't been doing movies in a while, was really at his best too. And I think that... You know, and I, I know a lot of people really liked Inglorious Bastards. It's one of my least favorite of his movies. Who's he reviving in that? See, I always feel like he is reviving someone or treating you to somebody else. So I guess in this case, he's giving you Christoph Waltz in Inglorious Bastards. Like Jackie Brownie's bringing Pam, Pam Greer back. Yeah. Uh, you know, John Travolta was clearly Pulp Fiction. Obviously. Uh, guess the hateful eight is Kurt Russell or Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah, exactly. Two. Well, it's Jennifer Jason Lee because, yeah. but she was already kind of coming back when he was doing it originally with Pulp Fiction and with, um, Jackie Brown. He kind of did it because he didn't have the money to hire bigger actors. So he thought, okay, let me go to other actors, ones that maybe are more open but are still names. And I think that now, I don't know, it's different. I I really like Jackie Brown. Um, like Django Unchained, who did he bring back? Everyone was a huge name. Everybody Although was I do, a name. Though I do freaking love that movie. But like. Uh, who would have been? I mean, like Jamie Foxx, I guess. But no Jamie way. Foxx never went away. Exactly. I He did it in the beginning because he had to do it. And I think that that is what it is. Once he did Kill Bill and, and Forward, his movies lost some element, some indescribable quality. And um, Jackie Brown is, I think, the height of that quality, whatever it is that that quality is. So that would have been the tipping point. That's interesting. Like that is the tipping point. That is the Jackie Brown was his last real independent feature before they just gave him money. Yeah, for sure. That's interesting. Um, I've got, I don't know if this is cheating. So let me know if it's cheating. And if it is, I'll change it. But I have um, Hero Dreams of Sushi. And Hero is spelled with a J because it's uh, it's a Japanese, J-I-R-O. No, um, I think that that totally counts. Okay, great. So this is a documentary. Um, have you seen it? I guess my only thing is, do documentaries count? That's my question. Is no, Not the J. My question is, it's a documentary that I'm putting in here. 
should I be putting a documentary in here? Uh, and if I shouldn't, I have an alternate going in instead of this. You know what? I don't think we can do mix the doc. Like to me, there's such different things, documentaries and narrative films. So I think it doesn't count. But, but we you can should talk see about the movie. it as a if bonus. If you haven't seen the movie. Go yeah, see exactly. The movie. Uh, okay, so my alternate is JFK. Oliver Stone's JFK starring Kevin Costner. I used to I've watch this movie it. all the time in high school. And I know it's long and it's like posturing and a lot of people think it's boring, but I don't think it's boring. I think it's exciting. It's a little bit diminished for me because they have now released the, um, <laughs> the, the Kennedy papers uh, and, and a lot of what is in the Oliver Stone movie is just like super conspiracy theory. Uh, but I like it still. I think it's uh, I think it's really good. It's one of John Candy's last roles, uh, and he's fantastic in it. JFK. I I don't know what else more to say. Like I know whoever's listening to this is gonna go. Yeah, JFK is great. I've never seen it. I don't know. It's about Kevin Costner's character uh, digging into the case to try and say there was more to it than we know, and that the government lied to us. Uh, but JFK is in there for the running instead of uh, Hero Dreams of Sushi. So what is yours? All right, my next one, you're going to laugh because it's like, well, it's funny, but uh, Just Friends with Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, I don't know what is wrong with you right now. Like, why? (laughs) Why is that movie even touching like it's i get the guilty pleasure aspect is fun i went through the list of j movies that i was like near and around and all that kind of stuff and uh i guess i either haven't seen enough j movies or i just didn't like a lot of j movies (laughs) um but it's, it's a fun movie i like the movie it's, it's, I don't have that much to say, except that because you Anna shouldn't Ferris have much to say about just really Friends. funny. It's I not mean, going to be your number one out of your picks. Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely not going to be my number one out of my picks. It don't is definitely even try st- the tomfoolery with our audience. They know a step below the rest of them. This is a filler movie, but it's still on the five, and I I do find it a very enjoyable comedy. I've seen it more than once, which. Is a lot that's, to say. That's actually a big deal for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, okay. I mean, it's a guilty pleasure film for me, but I, I don't like in any universe think it's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Next up, I'm going to talk about Jaws for a second. It only recently got like dethroned off the top of my number best one of all ever. time best movies yeah. ever list. Um, I, can I add some context to this? Yeah. So we did a, a poll in our movie club that was, what are the best top 50 superhero movies of all time? And I included a list and I wanted people to put like a one to a 10 going Mm -hmm. through. And someone told me that they hadn't seen the movies in so long. They don't know what they would think of them today. And I thought that was really valid. Because as you've heard on this podcast, we do take twos where I've changed my mind on movies, like real 180s on movies. 
Uh, and and not that I I thought I was gonna 180 Jaws because I've seen it so many times and it still holds up so well for me. But what I did was I took my flick chart, which has every movie that I see, and it ranks every single movie in an order, uh, and I erased it. And I started with only the movies that I'd seen this year. And I saw Jaws this year, uh, a couple nights ago, at Jaws in Concert, which Toronto area, we got to take advantage of Roy Thompson Hall and the Toronto Symphony Orchestra more often. What they did, they took the music out of Jaws and the orchestra played it while the film was going. Oh, I didn't realize that Jaws in Concert actually plays the movie, although I've always wanted to go to Jaws, like the movie in Concert series. It's awesome. So we went on, uh, on Thursday night. And it was a blast. And thank you again, Kendall, if you're watching for those tickets. They were fantastic. Um, so, but at the top of my list was Spotlight. Uh, so I have like 30 movies that I've seen this year. And Spotlight was at the top. And I couldn't justify putting Jaws above Spotlight. Because it's Spotlight. Like, it's just. I don't know. Spotlight to me is is perfectly crafted. Not that Jaws isn't, but they're like so close together. And I ended up going, okay, what do I want to watch right now? And it was Spotlight. So I, I put Spotlight at the top, but Jaws is close second. I think that that's one, like, hmm. Spotlight is such a great movie, but there's, and, and I know that people love it, but it, there's something about it that just doesn't seem original. It's like impeccably crafted, but nothing is new. And that knocks it down a peg for me that I'm surprised that then it beats Jaws for you. I mean, it's still I, I great. Know. It's still top echelon of movies. Just yeah. I never put it at number one. I think it does the the journalism film for me has always been a huge thing. I think it's the best in class of the journalism movies. Um, every scene matters, which is so important to me. Like I wouldn't cut a single scene. Okay. The, the sound matters. They basically took the most boring parts of journalism and somewhat made it into almost a film noir, which I also am shocked they were able to do. Uh, I know we're talking, we're supposed to be talking about J movies, but um, yeah, so that like, there was just a lot of elevation for me that I saw in the actual filmmaking mm -hmm. and Jaws is still so Spielbergian. Like you can't deny when you're watching it, you're having a great time and like, it's amazing. And it's, it's Spielberg at his like earliest, I'm going to try anything. And, and then you get like, but there's no like filmmaking history in spotlight like there is in jaws like filmmakers carry the jaws log around on set to refer back to when they're having issues on set because no film like in the history of ever even justice league had the issues that jaws had when the shark stopped working <laughs> and they had to go over budget and over everything because they had all these actors that weren't going to do anything because they had to shoot with the shark um, right not to mention Spielberg was like, yeah, we'll shoot on open ocean. No problem. Yeah. There's this thing called the tide. So your shot in five minutes won't be the same shot you lined up. So <laughs> all these things that he had no idea 
And he, he was so naive and he's so honest and earnest about like how horrible it was filming Jaws to get the caliber of film that is Jaws out of it is incredible. So there's no like filmmaking history like that in Spotlight. Um, but I'd watch Spotlight right now. Like that's bizarre to me that even Jaws sometimes I'd be like, yeah, I probably could watch it anytime. But then somebody go want to watch Jaws and I'd be like, not really. I'd watch Spotlight right now. I don't know why. I it's not a ridiculous re, ridiculously rewatchable film, but I love it and I want to watch it right now. Now I want to watch it. After this podcast, I'm going to watch it. It's crazy. <laughs> I I like I really like Jaws. I don't I've seen it maybe like once or twice and it's been a while and I couldn't remember it but I remembered the feeling I had after it, which was, and I think it was actually after I met you the first time I actually watched Jaws um, or watched it like I hadn't remembered anything about it. And so it was you that inspired me to watch it. And I remembered being like, well, it's not the best movie ever made. And I think that like that's what reminds me of it, but I don't really remember anything else about it at this moment. So I couldn't I get love Jaws. I, I don't don't let this like this this spotlight versus Jaws thing uh, deter you. I love Jaws. I think it's a masterpiece. Five stars all the way. It's still like one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, and it is clearly going to win this list. Yeah. Uh, but we do have a couple more movies to talk about. Um, so what else is on your list? Well, I only have one more on my list. And it is Juno. Juno. Yeah. Little Ellen Page. Ellen Page as a pregnant high schooler. I watched that movie in like a screener and the movie theater was packed. And one of the funniest scenes in the entire movie, nobody else ever really laughs at. I saw, I think I saw, might've even seen it twice in theaters or something. Um, It was like... Jennifer Garner and Jason Bateman are choosing paint and it's like two identical yellows and she's sitting there like sweating over the decision of what color yellow are they going to paint this room and he just does not care and she just cares so much and it's the funniest scene in the movie to me. I, I remember it like it was yesterday and I remember laughing so hard and no one's laughing in the theater and then all of a sudden people right behind me start laughing. And before you know it, the whole theater is laughing at this scene. Oh, that's wild. And to this day, I still love the movie. I find it so rewatchable. I think it's so well-written. Um, it's snappy. It's fun. It is dark, but light. And I really like that mix. When you said Juno, the first thing that came into my mind is the soundtrack, which has such a, such a deep, uh, impression on me. It was when I was living with Mark. Uh, we played that soundtrack around the house. It's just like soundtrack music. So it is definitely embedded in me. And I'm actually going to put, because of what you said, I'm going to put Juno on as my fifth movie. It was going to be John Wick, but I'm going to take Juno oh and my actually God. put it on. I totally thought you were going to say John Wick, which I've never seen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love John Wick. It's fantastic. Uh, great revenge movie. You really care about all the characters, but I think Juno, what you said about Juno and most importantly, the Jason Bateman aspect of that film, he, he elevates some real drama in those scenes because Ellen Page is, 
very funny. Her parents are very funny. But it's the couple that she's giving the child to that elevates that film more. And I kind of totally. I kind of forgot about that. And I I think Juno deserves to be on my top five a little bit more than the amazing, awesome, action-packed John Wick that everybody absolutely should see who's over the age of 18. Or under the age of 18 because, you know, like, first of all, I feel like once you're 14. 14A tops, Canada. 14, you should be able to see anything by the time you're 14. You want to see a dog slaughtered? A puppy? No. You got to be a certain age to see that. No, I think that anyone, any age. It's a puppy. It's so cute. And they kill it because just because. But then there's the revenge. Oh, God. Anyway. The beautiful, beautiful revenge. I really Which wish you know that what? I had seen you John Wick. You killed his dog. You, I wish. They I killed did not, him. Me? No way. No. You the, know me. They, they killed dogs. the dog. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not they you. did. So they deserve to die. I get not it. You. You didn't Of course kill not anything. me. I love dogs. What's going on in Pittsburgh? Are you... Is there a secret dog ring or something you're running? No, man. Dogs are so important to life. I would never kill one. I should. I wish that I had seen John John Wick and that you it could be on my it. list. You have a free night tonight. Go just rent it. I will. But like I'm saying, it can't be on my list right now. And I wish that it could be instead of just friends. Just thought I'd mention that. Oh, that's a great point. Just friends <laughs> yeah. could totally be replaced with, with that movie. All right, we got to pick one. Jaws. Oh, I'm I'm torn as per usual uh, between Jackie Brown and Juno. What am I gonna do, Jay? I think Jackie Brown's a better movie. Really, I think Juno is also one of the best movies I've ever seen. You know what? Because I've seen it more recently, Juno. Juno. All right, that's awesome. So, what's your favorite Jay movie? Reach out to us. Let us know. What the best movie of all time is that we miss? It starts with the letter J, or is it just friends? Ugh, no way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I need to get something off of my chest for this. Oh my god, break. is everything okay? No, no, things are not okay right now. Well, all right, like, I, I don't know, I haven't seen you in a couple weeks. Okay. Have you been watching Netflix on like a television or like a device, like a PlayStation or anything like that? You're okay, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm fine, except for that freaking Netflix is ruining my Netflix experience, which okay. is extremely important to me. Do you remember all, right. all those times where like you used to say, I'm ready to give up on Netflix. And I was like, I'm not ready to give up on Netflix. Well, let me tell you. I am ready for you to give up on Netflix. Yeah, the thought entered my mind. I'm I'm considering it. I'm probably not going to do it right now, but I'm considering it. Do you watch, do you watch Netflix? Are we, like yeah, no, I, we watch, we watch a little bit of Netflix here and there. Like obviously we've got cable, but we also totally check into Netflix pretty often. Have you checked into Netflix sometime over the last week or two on a device. So not on your computer, but like a television yes. type thing. I'm doing a rewatch of New Girl and I boot it up all the time. In the last two weeks? Yep. Okay. As you flip from title to title, do you not get those stupid autoplay trailers for everything? In the background. No, no. 
Yeah, in the background, but like the the sound is like inundating you. You can't even oh, yeah. like read a description without some stupid trailer. And then, and then there are those things that don't have trailers. And then you get stupid, weird, like royalty free music of low quality ruining your eardrums while you're just trying to read a description to choose something to watch. Yeah, I don't, I, I, I definitely have noticed it. And chopped it up to like stupid Netflix, but yeah, but like this is giving you pause on Netflix. I I have to go out of my way to mute to like look through Netflix. Like, what oh, is yeah. this? That's br- I don't understand. Is there a setting that you can turn it off? No, I googled it. It's the new thing they've decided to do, and we all have to suffer. I put out a Twitter poll. And no one likes it. No one likes this feature. What the hell? Like, what the hell are the Netflix people doing? They built this, this like, service that was, honestly, it changed the way that we consume media. And now they're just ruining it little by little. First, by getting rid of my beloved algorithm-induced, like, star rating that told me, am I in, in the mood for a two-star movie? Yes, I that am. That was the thing you wrote them a letter about. Like yeah, a strongly two, worded letter. A strongly worded two-page letter. That's right. That, that I had to cut and paste into a chat box. <laughs> That's right. I remember you saying <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so is this more infuriating than that? Or do you think it's it is, just par for the course? It's so much more infuriating. It's so much more infuriating because it ruins... I can't even search for something to watch. Like, that's the thing. Like, I used to enjoy discovering, you're a little bit different than me. You have to have heard of something and then you go out and you watch it, right? Like, Yeah, I don't, I don't spend a whole lot of time trying to pick something. I really love independent movies and movies that I've never heard of before and movies that are smaller. And I, one of the things that I think I love the most about Netflix, even in the beginning when they didn't have tons of content in Canada was they had all this really cool content that I've never heard of, that no one's ever heard of, that you're never going to hear of, but in like just like flipping through the titles, I would be able to see. And now I can't do that in peace. And so just the entire experience is ruined for me. So what are you going to do? I don't even know. I've been watching it on my computer. Like I I can't watch it through my television. Wait, you literally shifted your whole viewing habit. Based on this issue. It's so annoying. And that is not enough to say, like, I think I'm done. I Like I said, for the first time in my life, the thought has entered my mind. But then where am I going to see this content? Like, that's the problem is, like, I like the content. I don't understand what's going on in this world. You're going to have to come back to cable. Ugh, even worse. Hey, shut up! It's trailer trash! This week, we took a look at a new trailer for Sorry to Bother You, starring Lakeith Stanfield, who you will remember as the Get Out guy from Get Out. He's the guy who was in the beige suit and the nice hat, and then he, like, you know, snapped a picture of him, and he was like, you gotta go, like, get out of here. And it's this new independent um movie and the director is like a first time director and a and a rap artist oh i didn't know that 
This movie is super cool. Like, it plays with reality. There's this really fun moment where, uh, so Lakeith plays uh, a telemarketer and he throws on the headphones and he puts on his white person voice to sell things. And, and he does really well using his white person voice. Right, because everyone's racist. Because <laughs> everyone is racist. That's yeah. pretty much exactly it, actually, yeah. And, um, and But there's this really cool part where he throws on his headphones, he's doing his thing, and then, like, you see him fall through the floor of the telemarketing place and into the living room of these two, like middle-class white people and it's it plays with this whole surrealistic kind of vibe similar to man seeking woman let's say it's, it's sort of like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind um Except where less I don't think, boring i don't think these things are are you what would you say <laughs> i don't like that movie <laughs> take two next week take two no no i can't watch it Okay, fine, but we will at some point this year. Yes, fine. Well, next time, ne- next. I can't week- believe you just said that. Anyway, what I, I was just <laughs> saying, it's very surreal, and it it moves through things that would not be realistic, but it puts it in a setting that you totally understand. Right, of course. That's all I was trying to say, and then you said the most horrible thing ever. Uh, I don't get why people like that movie. It. it I find it very strange. Either way, I'm so excited for this movie. Are you excited for this movie? Uh, no, not not as not as excited as you. Uh, I will, um, I will definitely definitely see it. But you know me and like this surreal stuff. Like I gotta to wrap my head around it. I can't be like in a theater. I gotta be at home in a certain mood. Um, so when when all that kooky stuff was happening in the trailer, which by the way, the movie, the premise, all looks. Fantastic. The writing has got to be incredible on this film. Um, but I just, the, the, the weirdness, like I didn't see Dave, um, Dave builds a maze or whatever that one's called in theaters. Cause it looks so weird. It's one that I got to watch at home. You know, like these are movies that are so bizarre that I, I, I can't fathom running out to the theaters to see. Uh, I need I need to be alone in my in my pajamas in my safe place because they're probably gonna take me somewhere where I, I just I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be expecting. I mean I don't know I think I want the full immersive experience. I plan on seeing this in theaters for sure. So I read a whole bunch of articles about this movie where uh, they're lauding this movie for being the beginning of indie films that are sort of brought to us by black actors, black directors, etc. And yet, I found it a little bit strange because Dope was what? 2 years ago. I'm sure it's not the first. Um Yeah, it was uh that was about 2 years ago. Let's let's not forget Moonlight won for best picture. Right, that was an indie film. So I don't think this is the first of anything, but I mean, I love it though. And the concept it, in and of itself as a film is freaking like original and cool and exciting. But we're also of, we also do a podcast that has a focus on movies. Not to say that 
Black Panther is not a massive achievement because good Lord, it is. It is an important film for Hollywood specifically showing diversity and uh, representation in big mainstream blockbuster movies. It's a massive step forward. And I don't want to detract at all from Black Panther. Like I've said it, I don't know if I've said it on this podcast, but I understand the importance of, uh, you know, a kid who looks like the people in Black Panther watching a movie like that with people who look like him for the first time. I get that. Like that, that was, I, I, I was a stupid kid who everybody looked like me growing up. I understand that I don't share the same experience that you do when you go see Black Panther. And I shouldn't because that is your experience and it is going to be different than mine. Uh, but yes, I understand the importance of Black Panther. I just, I also objectively don't think it's like the best of the MCU that it has to offer. I think it's pretty good, but people are losing their damn minds and I am winning our box office pool because of it. (laughs) I'm going to, I haven't seen it yet. Still want to see it in theaters and everything might go this weekend or this week sometime. Anyway, all this talk about Black Panther, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're talking about story to bother you. Um, which I think looks really interesting. Ivana, obviously you're going to go see this. Oh, this movie is right up my alley. It's one of those quirky independent comedies. That is my jam. So maybe on your, uh, it'll be on your top 10 of 2018. I, I would be shocked if, if it wasn't. If it wasn't. Well, I mean, it's a first time director, so anything could happen. <laughs> In my day, we just called them their interwebs, the paper. Spielberg threw some major shade at Netflix last week. In an ITV news interview, Dude said, and I quote, Once you commit to a television format, you're a TV movie. You certainly, if it's a good show, deserve an Emmy, but not an Oscar. This year, Netflix won its first Oscar for the documentary Icarus. I mean, to be fair to Spielberg, a film does have to be screened in a commercial movie theater in L.A. for paying customers for seven consecutive days. Right. So that just means that Netflix is qualifying their films on a technicality. And Spielberg isn't the first director to call out Netflix. Christopher Nolan did, too. Right. Though he later did apologize for his undiplomatic stance. But that just makes me think about the Oscars and the rules and the way that Netflix is exploiting a technicality that is meant to allow smaller films to qualify. So who's right? Is Spielberg thinking about movies in this outdated way? Or, you know, is he right on the money? I'm like a little bit torn because in some ways I think that Maybe that rule, that rule that movies have to be in a movie theater is starting to become less relevant because so much of the world is like expanding beyond the theater. But I do kind of think that Spielberg is right as it stands right now. Like, I don't think it's a technicality. Um, And here's here's my reason. I saw Annihilation in theaters this year. What's Annihilation? Uh, it's a new film by Alex Garland, who did Ex Machina. Oh, nice. I loved the film. I think the film's amazing. And in North America, it was released in theaters. 
But everywhere else in the world, the distrib- the distribution rights went elsewhere. Yeah, but that doesn't and matter. That, because- and that went, hold on. And the, those distribution rights went to Netflix. Now, who's to say that Netflix can't buy a movie at Sundance? It is a movie that they did not make. They are just distributing. I think that's okay. Fair, but like when you think about it that way, that movie totally qualifies for the Oscars. It's a movie that had a theatrical release. And if Netflix buys a movie at Sundance for the sole purpose of like distributing it on a streaming platform, then it doesn't really have a theatrical release. And if you buy out one theater for seven days just so you can like qualify your film, I think that's a bit of a strange move for a company that only plans on distributing on on streaming. What about the interview? Is that not a movie? That's a TV movie? Yeah. No, that's not a TV movie. That is a movie that didn't get released in theaters and everybody was able to rent and see and stream because of an uh, something that happened with the studio. That is not the filmmaker's fault. No, but if someone's a... Like, filmmakers don't always know that their movie is going to get seen on a move on on movie theaters like that but that's what the oscars honor is filmmaking don't tell me that because netflix is the person who bought the movie and where they distributed it that it can't win a major award for the filmmaker i guess what i'm trying to say is that as it stands right now i side with spielberg but i also think that maybe the oscars need to open the doors up to like different venues because I don't think that the world is so simple as movie theater movies and TV movies. Like, sure, maybe that was the case in the 70s, but it's not the case anymore. We're not making like shit films for television and great films for the screen. We also have to take into consideration that all of the Oscar Academy isn't seeing all of the movies because of the technicality of making it a limited release Two days before it, the cutoff date. Like, people put movies into movie theaters as a, because they have to rush them in for awards season. It's the it, That's bullshit, too. Because now you're rushing the editor. You're rushing the thing. You're rushing the craft. And I think it's bullshit that Spielberg gets to say this, seeing as he left Ready Player One to do exactly this, to make a movie in three months, edit it, and get it to December's limited release so he could have a contender. You know what, Spielberg? The filmmakers of these Netflix movies are actually doing harder work than you and actually really, really building their skills and making better choices and better films because they're giving time to their shit instead of what you're doing, which is rushing something to the Oscars. And look, I love Spielberg. I've always loved Spielberg, but he's wrong in this account because he is also bullshitting the Academy. Yeah, sure. It's a technicality, but your movie, The Post, should not have been nominated. I Well, yeah, I agree with that completely. I, I think that it's more that the content should indicate the, the nomination. You know, like, if you don't make a movie that's good enough to be nominated, however it comes out, movie, theater, freaking internet, freaking, like, 
television, whatever. If it's not good enough, it won't get nominated. If it is good I enough, think, it will get I nominated. I think he will continue to say controversial things about Netflix because he feels it threatens all his studio power and uh, and they can bypass him. And that's what people are looking at. He attacked superhero movies a couple of years ago saying it's they're the new Westerns are going to go the way of the Dodo. And like that never happened. So he's just... He's a very threatened person, I think, and he just yeah. Gets I, maybe it's that he's getting older and he's feeling left behind, and he's not changing with the times. No, no. And hey, you're an old man. You got the right to your opinion, but dude, you you're living in a. All your best days are already behind you. You are basically Alfred Hitchcock at this point. Own it. <laughs> It's Film Freaks. Chatter for the film fan and all of us. Film Freaks, a couple weeks ago, we asked you to watch Mother! Exclamation point. And we have to tell you, honest to God, there are spoilers ahead. So if you haven't seen the movie and you are looking to see it, please skip ahead to the next point in the description. Unless you don't care about spoilers, but this is a movie where you want... Ah, you know what? I would have been happy to have this movie spoiled. And I would have... I, I love not being spoiled. So... Uh, take your pick. This we are gonna spoil this movie and what it's about. Like so if everything, Mother, we're going deep on the spoilers. Deep, thematically <laughs> deep. So, how does the movie start, Ivana? All right, the film opens on a woman engulfed in flames. She sheds a single tear. Title card: Mother! Exclamation point. So next we see Javier Bardem lovingly place a crystal on a pedestal and magically all the burned down house revives itself to its former glory. Oh, and there's a a human materializing as well. And lo and behold, it's Jennifer Lawrence. So shortly after she wakes up, we discover that she's madly in love with her husband, Javier Bardem. And he's a writer who has writer's block. Yep. He mostly seems disinterested and bored with her. And so she returns to painstakingly restoring the house, considering every single detail. It doesn't take long before her world is rocked by the arrival of a man. Yeah, and Bardem is way more interested in that man than his lovely wife. Plus, it turns out the dude's a fan of Bardem, and it's been his lifelong wish to visit him. Lawrence isn't so impressed with the man, nor her husband's affinity toward him. Things don't get better when the man's wife suddenly appears on their door and they get even worse when their children find their way to the secluded paradise. That's an understatement. We meet these two brothers fighting about their father's will. One of them gets so angry that he kills the other, uh, all to the absolute horror of Jennifer Lawrence. Suddenly, all these people show up for the funeral. Everyone is super disrespectful to the home and more importantly to Lawrence. One thing leads to another and Lawrence breaks. She confronts Bardem about all the people, about their own relationship, how he has never had sex with her. And Bardem, and Bardem becomes so compelled by this sudden passion in her that he jumps her right there on the staircase immediately. And he totally knocks her up. Also inspired by this pregnancy, he rushes off to write a poem that will define his career. So while this is happening, everything quiets down again at the house and the pregnancy continues until Jennifer is about to pop. And then suddenly a group shows up. It's after the poem has been published and these are mega 
fans. They've come from a great distance to see the man who wrote this poem that changed their life. And we're talking hundreds and then thousands of people. Right. And this is where shit gets real. People start stealing things, breaking the house, attacking each other. I mean, literally, people are tearing down walls now. So this is the perfect timing for Jennifer Lawrence to give birth to a baby boy. And that's when her maternal instincts, they kick in and she refused to let go of the baby. But then, after a standoff between her and Bardem, she falls asleep for a second. One second. And Bardem steals the kid, brings it to the mob of people, and that's when they take the kid. Let's just, no, 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 let's skip that part. It's, it's, that's no good for kids. I mean, I know we're not always uh, family friendly on this show, but let's not talk about that. Okay, fair. It, it is pretty particular. So if you haven't seen the movie, you should just watch that part for yourself. Okay, so we'll just say that the movie ends as it begins. It all goes up in flames. Everything, including the woman. Everything except the man. He pulls her out of the flames and he is untouched. She asks, what are you? And he says, I am I. He asks the woman for one more thing. She says he's taken everything, but he insists she has one more thing to give. And her love for him persists and she grants him his wish. And that's when he reaches into her chest and pulls out a crystal. She dies, and the beginning of the film begins anew, and that's the film. That's the film Mother. It's pretty cool and pretty crazy. So, real quick, let's get heavy with the symbolism in this film. So, Jayla is full-on Mother Earth. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And the man, man is, God. is God. Yeah. The home office is Eden, where he keeps this, this crystal. Totally the home office is Eden. The house is the world, and so we're almost given an entire story of the world with global warming, sexism, the Bible. It's almost an entire history of everything in a spiritual sense. Or like a metaphorical sense. Yeah, I mean, it's it's totally a allegory for, you know, what what Darren Aronofsky thinks of everything. Yeah, totally. And it... And it it's so interesting. It's so f- cool and fun, like, because it's a history, a biblical history of the world, but mixed with our actual own history in the world as human beings. Uh, and and it's absolutely a warning that we need to stop fucking around with ruining the environment because Mother Earth is going to fucking fire shit down. <laughs> That's right. She's going to go into the furnace and, like, just... Just gonna, light, a, light a match and it is go time. Yeah. And it's when the funeral is happening. And by the way, when we say funeral, we don't mean like people like when people solemnly grieve for another human, it becomes like this giant house party as if, you know, you're 18 and your parents are away for the weekend and you throw a party and everyone that knows everyone suddenly shows up. It's like that. And there's this one scene where these two people hop up on a a sink and they start like jumping up and down on this sink. And Jennifer Lawrence sees this and is like, whoa, dudes, get off my sink. And they're like, why the fuck are you being weird, bitch? And she's like, get the fuck off my sink. It's not braced. It's going to break. Then they say, okay, fine. Then they do it. Then she turns around and they get right back on it. And she's like, what the hell are you doing? And guess what? The sink breaks, water's everywhere, and she is pissed. 
Which is 100% the flood. Like, I mean, that is the the Noah flood. He kicks everybody out because they've gone full asshole crazy. Yeah. And um, and as he kicks them out, he walks outside and all you see is rain. Yeah. This downpouring of rain. So this is his, this is the, you know, God created people and then he then he took them away because he was just that that's God's wrath. Um, but he wasn't really that angry. It was it was really her wrath. I found him just awful the whole time. Well, that's I mean, there's there's an idea in this film that I truly like. Uh and that is that he is they don't they never call him God. He says I am I, which is something from the Bible. Um Oh, it's from but, the Bible. Yes. But he's a cre- he's the creator. And he says that about himself. I create. And what this film says is that he has no goddamn control after that. He just creates. That's all he can do. Right. And I thought, wow, that's a really interesting idea about God. Because whenever you say, why why did you let bad things happen? Why did why are there wars? Why are there all these things? Well, he just creates. He doesn't have much more to do after that. Right, like he may he just creates. But not only does he just create, he's also super vain, super selfish. He really likes humans for some strange reason and ignores well, he, his he wife. He adores humans more than he endured the angels. The fallen angels happen because they stand up and say like my perfect beings are the humans and he like this is all the bible. Do you think that Kristen Wiig is an angel? No. What is I, she? She is a prophet. Oh, she's a prophet. Yeah. So she's like one of the ones that she's go- she's the messenger of God, the voice of God. Oh, that's cool. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know that. Like, I'm I'm clearly not that biblically knowledgeable. So some of these. Well, things- and that was th- this was the thing about this movie because this movie starts off. Sort of like a, there's a weird thing in the house kind of movie. You don't know what it is. You don't know what's happening. But there's weird things happening in the house. Like the house is bleeding. Which of course it is because the house represents the earth. But you don't know that at the beginning of the film. You, these are all the things that you pick up on as it moves through the film. I mean, I don't know. Like the house bleeding happens after Cain and Abel kill each other. But there's the heartbeat of the house before that. Well, this is a good time to talk about how divisive this movie is. Because this is like, in my opinion, this is the most rewatchable Darren Aronofsky movie I've ever seen. And for other people, they left the theater and said, I'm never watching it again. I left the theater and I immediately was excited to watch it again. I couldn't wait for it to be like available. I wasn't going to go back to theaters to watch it again. Um, But it's probably one of my, like it's on the lower end of my Darren Aronofsky movies because I found the shots that he created very difficult to watch. Very unwatchable visually for me, this movie. He made a lot of choices whenever she was alone. They showed how alone with like wide shots almost every single time. Um, and that, to me, added this, this isolation to the film, which I really appreciated. I never felt like I geographically understood the house ever. 
Which I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that too, now knowing what the house represents. Although, uh, it's interesting, I did feel like I geographically understood the house. She would uh, she would do a turn through a hallway, and I'd be like, where does that hallway go? And then she'd be in the kitchen, and I'd be like, how the hell did that work? Like, when was when did that become a thing? Um, and I think it was just because of his choice to always have her very claustrophobic with the camera. Like, that, it was right up on her when she moved. That like, bothered it, me. I liked the wide shots. I thought they were great. I hated that half of this movie, and I'm talking literally half of this movie, is like the side of her cheek and somewhat what she sees. Or, yeah, or over her shoulder with her ear in the shot or something. Exactly. And and uh, th- I hated that. I hated that choice. And it makes the movie hard for me to watch. Again, like I did. I was so excited to watch it again. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's why I had this awful feeling this whole time I was in the theater. One, because I was expecting a horror film. And to me, this is not a horror film in any way, shape, or form. Um, and and two, because of these shots with the camera moving. And I don't know. I, I didn't like it visually. It did not speak to me. See, and I, and I thought the first half was absolutely a horror movie. Um, I was getting tense when she, whenever she went into that basement, I was very, very nervous. Um, maybe because of those isolated long shots, there was so little time that was, that it was actually on, uh, that the camera was ever actually on a tripod that I, I hated that. I didn't know what was going to happen. Like I, I, I I genuinely thought we were going to get a whip pan to something creepy or I don't, I don't know. I I felt like it really, really instilled fear in me. It's so weird that you thought you were going to get a whip pan to something creepy. It was so obvious to me that nothing creepy. Like I was like, what are you doing? And you're advertising clearly nothing creepy is coming. You're not using anything that classically horror movies use that would indicate so, that you're going to see anything creepy. I guess I've seen so a lot of horror movies, so maybe it. that's the difference. When did you understand it? Um, I don't know. I think that I understood it pretty early. Um, but I also think that I had I was really excited for this movie, and I watched a few interviews about it because I heard it was a horror film, and I was even more excited because I love horror. So I I may have been tipped off. Like I'm not sure. I I didn't know it going in, but I didn't not know it. Like I saw an interview where Jennifer Lawrence said something like, we represent other things and like just said something really cryptic. So very early on, I got it. So I, so I knew nothing going into the movie except that I didn't want to watch the movie. I'm Um, so glad I forced you to watch it. I am too. I really enjoyed it. Uh, and then, so when the blood spot came back, um, when she was about to have the baby and the crib was there, I was like, there's some sort of stigmata thing happening with this room and she's pregnant and stigmata and pregnant. And I was like, is she about to give birth to Jesus? And if she's Jesus or if it's Jesus, then who are these two people? So that was my first glimpse of like what was going to happen. So is that what that blood spot was? Was it a stigmata of the house? I don't know. That's That was my trigger effect of like, huh, like this is, this is interesting. What do you think that represented? Because I I never got, I never went, I, I couldn't figure that one out. 
Well, it was so the brothers are Cain and Abel, and it's the world's first murder. So yes. I think the world just never recovered from the very first murderer on the planet. Okay, I like that. Yeah, well, but I don't get to that till the end of the movie, realizing the house is the earth. Right, 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 right. So that's what I mean by rewatchability. Like I wanted to rewatch it the second it was over. Me so too. So that I could watch everything again happen. Like, like the the scene where I think though that's why they're cast I think out that, of paradise. Yeah, like see for me. I wish I'd known everything going in so I could have watched from the very beginning, not expecting a horror film. Because when I was in the theater, I was like, okay, I know that it's an allegory and a horror film. And then I'm like, what the hell? This isn't a horror film. It's just, and I was kept expecting horror stuff to happen and it never did. And I got, and then only about halfway through was I like, okay, stop thinking about the horror. And then I got into it. And I wish right. that I knew what it was from the beginning so that I could sit there and pick it apart because there's so much in here. I, but I don't think Darren Aronofsky wanted you to know from the beginning. I think that he wanted you to to understand. And then by the end, you're it. it I mean, by the end, he's beating you on the head with it. Oh, it's like, yeah, yeah. By the this end, is what is. this is. It's such a fast paced spiritual history. Yes. That he he picked and chose. Right? He picked and chose. And obviously he did. I, in my opinion, he did Noah. With the flood part, because he, I mean, he obviously has Noah in his blood. He did that movie, Noah. Right. Uh, which I didn't, I still have not seen. I still haven't um, seen it, actually. It's the only Aronofsky movie I've never seen. But, it, so it obviously, like, wanted to pay some sort of tribute to that. Or or just the fact that, like, hey, here is where that big, because that's uh, Noah. And then after Noah, you know, the, the earth starts to slowly repopulate. And then we have the new Testament, which is like Mary and Joseph. So I originally at one point thought, Oh, this is Mary and Joseph. But then when the fame happened to him, I'm like, he can't be Joseph. He's the father of Christ. He's God. And then it took me longer to get to mother earth than it did for me to get to God. Yeah. Like I feel like it was pretty obvious. He was God to me from the moment it started because it was his hands putting a crystal. And then all of a sudden this, this, house was created and i totally i i I thought it was like a weird flashback because i didn't know at that point i was still like this is this is like a creepy creepy interesting supernatural movie at that point so i didn't even think god until much later in the film um and i think you're right i think the marketing had a bad I, i don't know if darren aronofsky was like i'm happy with the marketing or not but it's you can't give away what the movie is because he hasn't set it up in that fashion. But when you think about Black Swan, the marketing for that was very, like, to me, Black Swan was more of a horror film than this. I agree. And, and now that I've seen the movie in total, I, I do agree. And and the marketing for Black Swan was just this really, like, confusing... It, you're, you knew the movie was going to be dark. And you knew that it was going to be exciting. And that's all you knew. And I think that's all you needed for this film. But they went out and they called it a horror film over and over and over again. And I don't think it is. And I think it's a I think it's a cautionary story um, with a with an allegory that everybody or at least like a huge population of the earth knows. And I think he's also saying that he, what he thinks about God, and it does not sound like he thinks very highly of the creator at all. Yeah, he well, he's um, a douchebag. I mean, Bardem 
is, Bardem is a douchebag. Douche and actually, yeah. one thing that's interesting is the film got a lot of flack because Jennifer Lawrence is quite young and Javier Bardem is quite old. And yet, I love that. Totally makes that. sense in the movie. Yeah, like, I don't see why anyone would critique that. That was a very particular choice. God is old. He, he, here's the earth. It's not as old as God. Exactly. And, and the earth loves God and doesn't understand why God keeps putting things that ruin the earth on it. (laughs) Totally makes sense to me. And it's great when you know it. So, so I guess it's not the end of the world if you've listened to this whole spoiler spoiler episode yeah because you get episode. to watch the movie because now you know what this is and when you watch it you'll be like holy shit this is interesting um and that's why i, really I like wish that it was myself. spoiled for me i i because i you you're right you finish the movie you're like i need to rewatch it so i can know everything from beginning to end so what is with that exclamation point okay yeah what is with the ex- exclamation point i really don't know I, I, I don't know. I kind of find it might know. ostentatious if I'm going to be truthful. Which I guess is the movie. The movie is very ostentatious with its allegory. Uh, I love the allegory. I love a lot of things about this movie. And then I dislike things, weirdly enough, like the exclamation point. Um, this is another movie that I think every scene matters. Uh, we kept some things out of our description, obviously, because we don't want to give everything away. But... There are things in the in each scene that actually that affect Jennifer Lawrence or they affect the house or they affect uh, the story and the people in it. The person who is never affected is God. Yeah, that is so true. <laughs> Everybody else is is manipulated or torn or pushed or pulled. God is like, nah, man, like I'm I'm God. <laughs> and it's just the- I could just do this again. At the very end, when they have that exchange that we put into our, our synopsis and he just like, she finally gives him permission because she loves him so much. And he just callously like rips into her chest and takes out her heart, which of course is the crystal. Um, then it, which is also the apple. Yes. It's of knowledge, the apple of knowledge, the crystal and her heart. And that's how she recreated the house because it's her heart. It's the power of her heart that recreates the house. So he doesn't have the power without her. Right. He needs her to give her everything. And she does. And I just fucking hate him. (laughs) I mean, saying hate him in the film content, I mean, I'm not sure you're going out every day saying I hate God. No. Like screaming from the rafters. No, but no, no, But in no. the film, it, it it is a very interesting depiction of one man's idea of God. Um, and, you know, you can you can love it or hate it, but it's definitely interesting to watch. Do you think that uh, Aronofsky believes in God? Yes. Interesting. I, I think that Aronofsky does not believe in God. He is telling a story about environmentalism through like a fable, like any other fable. Um, You know, there wasn't necessarily Baba Yaga's out in the forest ready to eat, you know, children like Hansel and Gretel. I know I'm mixing like different worlds. uh, It's a Baba Yaga. It's in Eastern, it's Eastern European witch, but she's very similar to like the witch in Hansel and Gretel. That would be an example of a 
like a Baba Yaga type figure. That is a way scarier word for witch. I know. Well, yeah. <laughs> Baba means grandma um, in Serbian anyway. And, um, but it is, it's for a witch. And uh, so I, I think that he is using God, which many people believe in, to tell a story about how we need to worry about our planet and be kinder to it in the same way that the Grimm brothers um, wanted to tell a story about kindness when they wrote Cinderella. So next week, we are going to watch a new Netflix series. We're going to watch the first episode of On My Block. This is a dramedy about uh, low-income sector, like a projects somewhere in the United States and uh, the people who live there. Teenagers. Teenage people. That's our show. Thanks for listening, and please be sure to tune in again next week. If you'd like to support the show, you can hop on to your podcast service and subscribe. And if you're really feeling generous, why not score a quick rating or review? Our intro song comes from bensound.com. We encourage you to check out our show notes for more information about our music, our talented voice actors, and sound effects. Ivana and I love hearing from you, so we actually built a website on how you can reach us at morethemovies.net. But in case you hate websites, you can email us, hello at morethemovies.net. Find us at our old, outdated Facebook page, More The Movies Podcast. And catch either one of us on Twitter directly. I'm at It's Ivana. I'm at Jester J. Thanks again for spending time with us. We'll be back again next week with an all-new commercial-free episode. And until next time, friends. Do more. And watch more. (laughs) 